Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. In this week's second episode of the podcast, it's my turn to tell the story, and so I decided that I should talk about one of the most distinctly American contributions to the world of soccer ever. America. Drew, take those firm ground studs out and put on some flat bottoms because we're taking it indoors. Uh, Buckle up. This is Deadball Brothers. Welcome to Deadball Brothers, a weekly podcast about soccer and history with a healthy dose of stupidity brought to you by betonline.ag and a part of Blue Wire Podcasts. And sometimes we are twice weekly podcasts because sometimes life gets in the way of us recording the podcast when we should record the podcast. You know, there's something about like a global pandemic which... uh Really puts things into perspective for some people <clears throat> and to some for some podcasts. And sometimes you have to take weeks off that you weren't planning on taking off. And we knew that this was going to happen, so we decided that the best course of action would be to hit you with another Deadball Brothers double game week. Back to back. You don't even get a chance to recover from our first episode. No, it's going to be just a, a, a repeat trauma. I almost feel bad. But I don't, because you get to just be listening to us. And by us, I mean everybody's favorite soccer freelance writer, Adam Whitaker Snavely. Joined, as always, by my real-life brother, Drew Snavely. And I already said everything you that already I was going to say the we first were, podcast. Yeah, we recorded so the fir- first podcast The right only thing that this. has changed is that I've had another beer, and that's it. But you're feeling loose? Adult beverage. Feeling ready to uh, to comment, to be inquisitive about... My story for you. We're getting there. Okay, I mean, that's good. You know, I will say that my story um, is much less heavy than the story that we just recounted. That's great about Dinamo Zagreb and <laughs> Red Star Belgrade. Yeah, not great. Um, and in general, the soccer in the Balkans, which is um, terrifying, almost always. Yeah, like nightmarish. Yeah. Uh huh. Like, have you seen? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen videos and um, pictures of. The visiting locker room for Red Star. Like, if, if you go and 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 stay in in the visiting locker room, like stuff sp- spray painted, it it feels like you're in a jail cell. Like, there's no way it's comfortable. Yeah, and I feel like this is a perfect um, analogy for what is about to happen because there's no way that any player feels comfortable playing on that field <laughs> unless you're Red Star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally, I get that. I would be crapping my pants the so whole time. So we're gonna shift from that to uh, to the good old U.S. of A. Baby. Hey, you know. And uh, soccer in the late seventies, eighties, and early nineties in the United States. This is kind of like a sounds like a, a radio station playing today's hits and yesterday's favorites. <laughs> it's ninety three point seven. Star I, FM. I have a feeling that um, there's a lot of uh, turf burn involved in this story. 
you know, that's a pretty decent assumption, but I'm not actually going to talk about turf burn, even though we can assume turf burn definitely occurred. And it sucks for those of you who haven't experienced it before. Drew, in the 70s, the American soccer landscape was a very different place. Yeah. The North American Soccer League, or NASL, shots out, had become the first really nationally popular soccer league in the United States, featuring some of the greatest stars to ever play the game. People like Pele, Franz Beckenbauer, Johan Cruyff, George Best. A lot of legends of the game came to play in NASL. Their uh, farewell tour. Yeah, a lot of their farewell <laughs> tour. Some of them didn't quite retire when when they. Some of them left NASL and, and did some other things. You want to know who didn't retire? David Beckham didn't retire. David Beckham never played in the NASL. No, I know, but he went to MLS. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know he did. But then he went to PSG. Yeah. So. And while he was in MLS, he was loaned out to AC Milan. So. So yeah. So hey. Something not necessarily like, retirement league. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. The lower tier club scene and national player pool at the time was still playing catch up, however, and the United States hadn't been to a World Cup in almost thirty years. Ugh. Rough. They were frequently bullied in Concacaf by Mexico. Also, at the time, I think Concacaf only had one qualifying slot because mm. there were only twenty four teams that made the World Cup, so they either had one or one and a half qualifying spots like if you finished second in the qualifying tournament you got to play vote. australia yeah or probably not even australia you probably got the right to lose to like some european team that was probably better than you it's fair yeah. honestly it's fair <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I get it <laughs> there was clearly a vacuum of soccer that still existed in the united states and the nasl still hadn't proven that they had true mainstream appeal either while average attendance in the league was over five figures across the board and a few select teams able to draw massive crowds, the game was still foreign to many in the States, and the NASL had yet to tr draw truly impressive television numbers. It was still an open question. Did Americans understand enough about the game to support a full league outside of the excitement of attending a live game? Mm. Two men had a plan to change that. Earl Foreman and Ed Tepper. The whitest names I could possibly <laughs> think of. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Mm -hmm. Man, those are two very vanilla names. Yeah. The blandest oh, yeah. names ever created. Yes. In the early 1970s, some NASL teams held indoor soccer exhibitions during the winter months. A couple of games of particular interest occurred when the Soviet Union Red Army indoor soccer team toured the United States in either 1973 or 1974. I found conflicting years of when, what year they were actually there. It was one of those two years. Hey, that's all you need. Yeah. Propelled by Cold War nationalism, which was, as we have just discussed, a thing. Yes. Uh, tons of people turned out to see a slapdash team of NASL All-Stars play the Red Army followed by the defending NASL champions, the Philadelphia Adams. The Red Stars crushed, the, or the Red Army, I said the Red Stars. Chicago, shout out Chicago. Chicago. Chicago Juilliards. <laughs> uh, the Red Army crushed the All-Stars and defeated the Adams with a little bit more difficulty, but still pretty handily. Foreman and Tepper were in attendance for the Philadelphia game, 
and saw the enthusiastic crowds, the extremely fast-paced, high-scoring games that the Red Army played, and ultimately saw an opportunity. The seeds of the major indoor soccer league were planted. That sounds so stupid, but (laughs) where there's a chance to make money, you can count on an American to be like, you know what? I have an idea. I got something. We're going to be rich. Ed, get over here. (laughs) As Foreman told the Baltimore Sun in 1978, I think the average sports fan still has a hard time identifying with outdoor soccer. I think soccer has turned the corner, but there are still a lot of dead spots in the game because of the size of the playing field and the poor viewing angles. Indoor soccer makes the game a lot simpler and much faster. Yes. Which I guess is kind of true. In a way, in, in several ways, I feel like it's it's not simpler at all. It's much more complicated. I mean, yeah, I think it's more simpler in the fact that the, the same way that um, half-court basketball is simpler, the field's smaller, yes. the court's smaller, and so there's less ground that you have to cover. The games go by a little bit quicker. Sure. But I don't think that, that makes it more entertaining at all. I'd yes. much rather see a full field or a full court. It was it was fun to read all these interviews and all like the things that people said about it, like, oh, this is the reason that we did this, because it's all all of it is the stuff that like the people that are like diehard MLS fans are like that they hate. Like it's it's all this like, you know, like uh playing music during the game and like being like really like loud and campy and 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 doing like dumb stuff and it, it's just it feels it's it's all those people that are like oh this isn't the pure game kind of thing like that's what made the major indoor soccer league successful and I'm about to tell you about it in in gross detail. oh my gosh all right. I'm gonna get into it the MISL launched with only six teams in 1978 the Philadelphia Fever the Houston Summit the Pittsburgh Spirit the Cleveland Force, the Cincinnati Kids, and the New York Arrows. Just some American names if I've ever heard them. Those are some American <laughs> names. In their very first game of existence, the MISL put on display some of the people that would come to define the league. Shep Messing, the American goalkeeper that backstopped Pele's New York Cosmos team, and also he is the current New York Red Bulls announcer, like color commentary oh, announcer. Oh, cool. Uh, Steve Zungel a Yugoslavian player hey, who defected from the Soviet bloc after an extremely successful few years with Hayduk Split, who became what many people describe as the greatest indoor player ever. Wow. Both played for the Arrows, who would win the first four MISL titles consecutively. On the other side, the Cincinnati Kids and the first instance of bona fide star power in the MISL, as they were partly owned by Pete Rose. What? Yep. Pete Rose was an original owner in the Major Indoor Soccer League. That's so random. Also, before he got busted for betting. Yeah. So he was like a bona fide star kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over 10,000 people attended that very first game, which New York won 7-2. Dang. The MISL was born. The MISL. <laughs> the MISL, baby. Finally made it. The missile. <laughs> the missile. <laughs> 
As I, like, as I like to call it, some of its close <laughs> the friends. The missile. <laughs> some of its close friends. People that are in the know call it the missile. Do you think that people actually called it that? I don't think so at all. I kind of feel like that's a missed opportunity. It really probably was. <laughs> if they didn't have some sort of bomb yeah. <laughs> on their logo. <laughs> what were they thinking? You could have been the missile. Oh, man. If only. And the missile went absolutely all in on trying to create a different version of the game that was being played everywhere else in the world. The games were played in hockey rinks. <laughs> nice. Where the balls could be played off the walls, and the downtime of ball going out of play was cut back considerably. Uh, the fields were also obviously much smaller, meaning that goals were much more frequent than in the outdoor game. It wasn't an uncommon occurrence to see teams hit 10 goals in a game. Nor was seeing goals traded mere seconds after kickoffs. It was frenetic, it was exhausting, and it proved to be exactly the type of popular <laughs> that Tepper and Foreman thought it would be. They actually called it, it's like hockey, but you can actually see the ball. <laughs> that was It's so true. That was their sales pitch. It's I, like, we're going to do hockey, but you can see the ball. <laughs> I have fun going to like hockey games and watching hockey, but I Never know where the puck is. Oh, absolutely not. Unless somebody is skating with the puck, if like people are passing it and stuff, it's so hard to see that little yeah. dang thing. <laughs> that, that little daggum thing. That little dang puck. <laughs> I also have a question though. Were the goals placed in similar spots to hockey goals, or were they actually at the ends? The goals. The goals were actually at the ends. I was so, kind of hoping that it would be like a lacrosse type <laughs> setup, so you could go behind like, the goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that would make it more interesting. No, they actually had. I mean, it's like um, it's like most modern indoor setups today. Okay. Where the goals are kind of like cut out of the back wall. Yeah, that's smart. Obviously, the goals were smaller too. It was like pretty. I mean, like it's a pretty standard indoor soccer. If you see like an indoor soccer rink that has walls and stuff. Yeah. It's basically like that. That's what they played. Very cool. Teams also took advantage of more traditional American sports trappings. Many teams had elaborate light shows and that were designed for player introductions, which arena announcers would do before matches kicked off, not unlike an NBA game. Yes. My favorite one was from the Baltimore Blast. Oh. Probably the most popular American indoor soccer team in the history of the sport. Not the longest running, but probably the most popular. Okay. They used to have players climb out of a giant rocket ship. <laughs> what the heck? They had like this big fabricated silver rocket ship and the door would like open up like it was a DeLorean. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then like it was like a, a bunch of smoke would like pour out of the inside and the players' names would get announced and they'd climb out of the thing and run onto the field and everybody would go wild. I kind of wish that ha- that was a thing in current soccer. <laughs> what I'm saying, dude. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> Teams were liberal with their use of music and sound effects. And then there was the sexy advertising strategies. Oh no. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna segue with this. Um the MISL were not afraid to objectify their players. <laughs> they were oh. like, hey, we got a bunch of good looking athletic dudes out there. <laughs> Want to come watch them play? <laughs> and I know that that sounds bad, just me saying it that way, but uh-huh. I promise you it was infinitely worse. Hold on. I'm about to read you some quotes. Ron Meyerhofer, 
owned the Denver Avalanche, who joined the MISL in 1980. The Denver Avalanche? The Denver Avalanche. What is this dude? They literally the Colorado Avalanche. Yep, is like, the, the, the NHL team. NHL team. Yep. Yeah. Uh, to put butts in seats for the games, Meyerhofer turned to a couple particular studies. We did a study, and we found out that women like to see the male athletic body. And we had a sport where guys were running around in short shorts. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, this is Meyerhofer t- talking to Vice Sports. Fully taking advantage, Meyerhofer's avalanche would conduct player introductions before a game as follows. After using fog machines uh, to create some ambiance, avalanche players would run out one at a time as they were introduced with a rose in their hands. The avalanche pre-selected women they deemed attractive. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, it's bad. It's not good. To sit in front row seats around the arena and the players would run to those women and give them their rose. Uh, so it's this weird, like, bachelorette kind yeah. of... Yeah. It, yeah, it's icky. It's icky. The Avalanche weren't the only team to objectify their players in the name of selling tickets to the game. A radio advertisement for the Pittsburgh Spirit once went as follows. <laughs> oh my god, this is my favorite part. Hold on. <clears throat> hot legs, hot time, hot action. Just too hot to handle. The Pittsburgh Spirit. We have 20 guys in shorts who can go all night. Oh, no. <laughs> that was a real advertisement. Oh. That really happened. <laughs> they put that on the radio because they said, this will get the people. We want to give the people what they want. 20. It's provocative. Smoldering. <laughs> It's like it's like how Rude Twenty One used to have their men's section was called Twenty One Men. No, no, no. <laughs> it's exactly what it was. It's forever, forever Twenty One. Forever Twenty One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Sentiment still stands. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It should be noted that one of the people that played on the Pittsburgh Spirit was former interim U.S. Men's National Team coach Dave Sarakin. Oh no. <laughs> So one of those guys with hot legs, hot action, they go, Short oh, shorts. Man. Short shorts. Dave. Dave Sarakin. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the most infamous of the sex-related advertisement had already come several years before the league existed, however, from the aforementioned Shep Messing. Mr. Messing, when the league debuted in 1978, was only a couple years removed from a fully nude photo shoot that he had done with an adult women's magazine at the time. Oh, gosh. It was pretty clear that the league was completely fine with a little objectification. And, of course, people weren't really decrying things for sexism at the time like they are today. Like, today, if a team tried to do that that Denver avalanche, like, give the rose to, to women around the thing, like, people wouldn't be happy with it. People would probably be like, hey, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Creepy. Like, maybe you shouldn't. Also, also, they wouldn't be pleased with the, like, oh, yeah, we found 20 attractive women. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, um, not great. Some of it very funny. Some of it not great. I mean, when you're objectifying men, I think that's a lot funnier. Just because historically. Oh, very true. Yeah. Yeah. Men haven't really had to, like, go through anything like that. And so when you do see it, it's, it's comical. <laughs> you know? We've got 20 guys in shorts. <laughs> 
and we know what to do with them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my lord. And they know what to do with those shorts. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know. Oh, man. The MISL. It was loud, it was bombastic, and to many people, it was every game, everything the game should not be. But it worked. In five years' time, the league doubled its average attendance, expanded from six teams to 14, and was so popular that they actually started to become a thorn in the side of the NASL, whose troubles with soaring player salaries and dwindling revenue were taking their toll. Finally, in 1984, it happened. The NASL folded, and the major indoor soccer league was now the most popular soccer league in the United States of America. Unfortunately for them, it was not to last. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Deadball Brothers, brought to you by betonline.ag. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. You missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Thank you so much to Bet Online for bringing this podcast to you and for bringing all Blue Wire podcasts to you this week. And we encourage you guys, if you want to, to use that uh, promo code Blue Wire, all capitals, all one word, to get a little bit of a bonus when you sign up at Bet Online. Thank you so much to you for listening. As always, if you want to support us, you can drop a listener review uh, on Apple Podcasts. And for now, let's get back to the story. Adam, there are 20 men who are running around, getting all hot and sweaty. Glistening with uh, testosterone and the desire of competition. Muscular legs. Toned bodies. Smooth chests. And Missile is on top of the world. The... M-I-S-L. <laughs> you had to think about how to spell it. Because I was thinking missile. <laughs> like the actual word missile. The M-I-S-L. <laughs> yes. The M-I-S-L were on top of the world. Now, towards the end of its life, the NASL actually attempted to reckon with the surging M-I-S-L by copying them. And they started their own indoor schedule, which I think is... First of all, quite funny in its own way. Just just in general, it feels very funny. Just be like, uh, what are we gonna do about this major indoor soccer league? Well, we gotta play indoor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was an attempt to cash in on their off season during American winters when no outdoor soccer was being played anyway, and also to ride the wave that the MISL created 
The NASL Indoor League only lasted a couple years, however, going from 19 participating teams to 13 to seven teams by the last year of NASL's existence. Dang. And actually, several NASL indoor teams actually left to compete in the MISL. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this league's way cooler. <laughs> this league's way better. They got rocket ships. Smoke. And 20 hot guys in shorts. <laughs> NBA-like <laughs> announcements. I Duh. Mean. Um, yeah. Uh, it became clear that the NASL's version of the indoor game just wasn't connecting. And NASL teams were folding left and right at this point. For a brief and glorious moment, the major indoor soccer league was the pinnacle of the sport in the United States. And then everything began to unravel. Like all good things. You know? (laughs) Ultimately, much of what caused MISL to fail was a lot of the same things that made the NASL fail. Too many. I spelled the were too wrong in my <laughs> manuscript, and so I, I was putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong word. <laughs> too many costs and too much cost in player salaries, not enough revenue to keep teams afloat, and there wasn't any ability to secure a national television contract that would help buoy clubs' fortunes. There are also simple logistical problems in the league. Most teams played in hockey rinks, and their playing conditions weren't exactly what you would call ideal. The Civic Arena in Pittsburgh featured squares of turf simply laid atop the ice with no barrier in between. Oh, gosh. And the squares would begin to slide. Yeah. The only way to keep them in place was to pour water in the seams between the squares so they would literally freeze them in place. Yeah. Yeah. Because then that was the only way. So first of all, it was freezing cold in in the Pittsburgh Spirit Stadium when they were playing these games. Second of all, players were literally running around playing indoor soccer while actively trying to avoid patches of ice yeah. on the field because you had to pour water and let it freeze to actually get the turf to stay. Oh my god! Which is insane to think yeah. about. That's so funny. And this isn't like nice turf that you oh, have today. No, it's dude. like this is the gross. Yeah. I mean, like this is Hornell turf. Yeah, Hornell before they got nicer turf. Oh, did they finally get nicer turf? Yeah. By the time my senior year, they had nicer turf. Yeah, their turf was awful. It was terrible. It's just like concrete with like sandpaper laid on top of it. Yeah, absolutely awful. Bleh. Teams began to fold quickly in 1988 and 1989. The league tried to hold on desperately into the 90s, as the United States had just been awarded the rights to host the 1994 World Cup. As part of that deal, the United States had to create a first division league. There was a plan, and some might say it feels more like a pipe dream, that maybe the MISL could become the first division soccer league that fulfilled FIFA's stipulation for getting giving the United States the World Cup. And the MISL could piggyback off the popularity of the World Cup to rejuvenate the league and its teams. It seems far-fetched, but league commissioner Earl Foreman was friends with Alan Rothenberg, who had just been elected president of U.S. soccer. So, like, they're like, ah, if we can stick around, maybe we're the first division league. Yeah. Who's to say? Who knows? There's a, there's, a, there's a version of American soccer where MLS never exists, and we are all playing indoor soccer. None of us are playing outdoor soccer right now. That'd be kind of sad. But there's, a, there's, like, a, a Marvel, like, cinematic universe <laughs> where the MISL is the wave. I mean, it's not even a Marvel cinematic universe. It's just another reality yeah 
you know. Sure. Another plane of existence. Yeah. The MISL couldn't wait that long, it turned out. The death knell sounded when, ironically, just as the NASL had tried to extend its life by introducing an indoor league, the MISL rebranded itself as the Major Soccer League, <laughs> which is very funny. Yeah. Sound, <laughs> Uh, sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> MSL. <laughs> In an apparent attempt to brand itself as something other than an indoor league, kind of. The league continued to dwindle and eventually closed up shop in 1992, two years before the World Cup and four years before the debut of MLS. To say the MISL was a short-lived, ridiculous experiment is to discount the profound effect it had on the game, however, for many American players. People like Dave Sarakin, who was on an NASL team. He was actually on the Rochester Lancers. Fun oh, fact. Yeah. that's really cool. He was on the Rochester Lancers. He couldn't get any game time because the NASL's whole thing was all of a sudden you had, you know, the Cosmos got Pele and Giorgio Canaglia and um, Carlos Alberto yeah. and Franz Beckenbauer. And all of a sudden everybody had to have their star. And so people started to sign George Best and Johan Cruyff and – all these players that what do you mean were, were so they could compete. Yeah. And so everybody had to have their star. Yeah. But their revenues weren't keeping up with the 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 player salaries that they were making. Yeah. Said like NASL teams were seventy percent of their revenue was going just to player salaries. Dang. And that's why it folded. That's crazy. Dave Sarakin was an American player playing in the NASL. He couldn't get into game time. Because so many of these teams had spent so much money importing foreign players mm-hmm. that were, I mean, much more expensive than the American players yeah. to come and fill out their teams. So Dave Sarakin, like many American players at the time, went and played in MISL because it's where you could play. Um, and show off those legs. And show off those legs. <laughs> so people like Dave Sarakin and U.S. Men's National Team defender Jim Pollahan, it was... The only way to make a living playing soccer in the United States at the time. Now, this is Jim Paulahan talking to um, The Guardian. It seemed like a very interesting and rewarding thing for players where we could play year-round, play indoors in the winter, and go back to the NASL in the spring and the summer, basically be full-time professional soccer players. That wasn't happening anywhere else. Yeah. Dave Sarakin said that he made $25,000 a year playing for the Buffalo Stallions, which was another MISL team. And, like... That can like along with the rest of his stuff. It's like okay, I can actually like make a living like playing soccer. That's a good chunk of change to play indoor soccer. Yeah, I think. well, they were playing, they, especially I mean, at that time. The MISL was paying like real salaries. Yeah, like it wasn't like a it it, it wasn't even like it probably is today. Honestly, with the with the major with the indoor soccer leagues that exist. Oh today. yeah, I think it's the MASL now, Major Arena Soccer League. Yeah, I mean you have some studs there too. <laughs> short shorts <laughs> so short <laughs> um, so yeah basically the ability to be a full time professional soccer player in the United States when you weren't an international superstar was very very limited and after NASL folded there was no professional outdoor league really in fact the MISL helped maintain and produce several United States national teamers such as Paula Han but perhaps most notably Preki who was MISL MVP in 1988. Preki, after MISL folded, left MISL to play for Everton and Portsmouth, 
before he came back to the United States, enjoyed a decade-long career in MLS, and got 28 caps for the USA, including appearances in the 1998 World Cup. What? Yes. That's crazy. What's his What's his name? Preki. P R E K I. Huh. Never you heard don't of know him. Preki? No, oh, dude. Preki. Preki's a U.S. legend. I'm um, young, dude. All Preki, right. I'm learning things every day. Preki. Um. Actually, I'm pretty sure he was from Yugoslavia too. Oh, cool. Like originally, like he yeah. he his family immigrated when he was like a baby. Um. And they played Yugoslavia in the 1998 World Cup. Like he he played against his country of birth no yeah 1998 yugoslavia wasn't a thing you're right maybe it was one of the former yugoslavian nations sure prob probably we'll, we'll get our history straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah one of these days um even more players from the time period would thrive because of the indoor game in other indoor leagues that existed apart from the misl because there was a, another couple not as popular indoor leagues but that leagues that still existed that were playing indoor soccer um these included 1990 1990 world cup player jimmy banks who he was the first african-american player to ever play for the united states men's national team in a world cup Uh because 1990 was the first world cup they made since 1950 uh i guess that makes sense segregation was a thing yeah it's terrible yes um he was at the professional level exclusively an indoor player. Huh. He didn't play any professional out. He played outdoor soccer for various amateur clubs, but he didn't play to to my knowledge, I don't think he played any professional outdoor soccer. All of his professional experience playing soccer was for the United States and the Milwaukee Wave. What the heck? Yeah. That's crazy. Um who the Milwaukee Wave have the distinction of being the longest operating American indoor soccer team in history. Are they still a thing? Yes. Wow. They never stopped. They they opened up in like the 70s and they never stopped playing. Is there a league still? Yeah, the MASL. That's what I was... I'm getting to that. Uh, I'm getting to it. Okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. We're talking about the legacy a little bit more. Um... Still more players were graduates of the MISL, if only short-lived graduates. Paolo Rossi was extremely briefly involved with the league when he was banned from Italian soccer for match-fixing. Noise. <laughs> Classic Italians. We'll take your crooks. <laughs> What's a little bit, a little bit of match-fixing? It's a little <laughs> bit of Parmesan. <laughs> oh, my god! Oh, uh, no. <laughs> um... His ban was lifted in time for him to leave MISL and rejoin the Italian national team for their World Cup victory in 1982. Wow. So literally, he went from MISL to becoming a World Cup champion. That's crazy. (laughs) Also, for a very brief flash of time, Dave Sarakin was teammates with Portuguese legend Eusebio. What? Yes. No way. On the Buffalo Stallions. Dang. Who tried his hand at the indoor soccer league at the age of 37. Eusebio's body had pretty much broken down due to injury at that point. Like, oh, his gosh. knees were super bad. Yeah. Sarakin actually, as Sarakin tells it in this interview with the Guardian, he could barely run at that point. Ah, oh, it's terrible. But he said what stuck out to him most was how it took him, like, 30 seconds to figure out, like, the walls. And then all of a sudden, he was, like, an expert playing these passes off of walls. He was, <sighs> like, he had the ge- geometry of it instantly. That's crazy. Like, it was wild yeah. to watch him work. That's really cool. <clears throat> for every indoor re- legend like the previously mentioned Steve Zongo or Brazilian great Tattoo, 
there were legitimately important people in the realms of American and world soccer that played indoor. Today, indoor soccer is still alive and well in the United States under the, the Major Arena Soccer League banner and have real teams playing under names and franchises belonging to long-dead indoor and outdoor leagues. Obviously, the Milwaukee Wave was continuously operating, but a lot of teams that folded previously were brought back, or at least their brand names were brought back yeah. to be played under MASL. This, these include people like the Baltimore Blast, who I talked yep. about stepping out of the rocket ship. Yeah. The Rochester Lancers, who are an old NASL team. Yes. They now are an indoor team that compete in... I'm aware of them, actually. Yeah. MASL. Yeah. Because one of the... I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, but I talked about one of the players from the, the Rochester Rhinos team that won the U.S. Open Cup. Um, I think still plays for the Lancers. or like. Yeah, that would like, make sense. Yeah. Um, I also think that... I want to say Steve Carter's brother-in-law. Yes, plays for the Lancers. Michael Cunningham. Yeah, 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 yeah. He plays for the Lancers. So, yeah. like, some somebody that we know knows somebody yes. <laughs> that actually plays for the yeah, Rochester yeah. Lancers. I've actually seen him play before because he played with Will. Oh, he played with our cousin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In college. Yeah, dope. Pretty wild. Um, the San Diego Soccers, oh, which is S O C K. ERS. Okay. <laughs> and not just our, our, our mascot is soccer. <laughs> the San Diego Soccers, who were the most successful MASL team in the history of the league, were revived in 2009 to play in the MASL and made waves in 2019, 2018, 2019, when they signed Landon Donovan. Ah. Landon Donovan came out of retirement to play a season for the San Diego Soccers. I'm just thinking about this now. I like how Missile. Turn to Massle. Massle. It's like, right. it's like the Pokemon evolution. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, people that played in the MASL in 2018, 2019, Jermaine Jones. Oh, really? Yeah. JJJ. I think he played, I want to say he played for the Ottawa Fury. I can't remember exactly what team he played for, but he also played for like a couple months in Major Arena Soccer League. I miss that guy. <laughs> what a guy. The MISL is also widely credited with being the inspiration for the Arena Football League. Um, the actual the guy who created the Arena Football League says that like he got the inspiration for it watching the Major Indoor Soccer League in the 90s. So Arena Football wouldn't be a thing without Major Indoor Soccer League. Um, as well as, to hear Earl Foreman tell it, being an inspiration for spectacle and showmanship in the NBA, NFL, and other major American sports leagues, as several MISL executives and staff would go on to work in high positions in other American sports. Wow. The MISL's lifespan was brief. Its sport barely represented soccer in many yeah. regards. And it was all about the cheesy American bombast and spectacle that so many modern American soccer fans just hate. <laughs> like, uh, like no, we, we know soccer. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like uh like we don't want them to play music during games and no. stuff. Like we don't we don't want organs like a baseball game, that that sort of thing. That's what the MISL is all about, baby. <laughs> but without this stupid sexy league, American soccer might not have stayed afloat in the dead period between the NASL and the MLS. And for that and the MLS. Oh, I'm gonna get murdered for that. Dang it. The MLS? The, the Major League Soccer. <laughs> between NASL and MLS. And for that, 
I think that the Major Indoor Soccer League deserves our thanks and remembrance, but also they can keep their hot legs and bachelorette rose ceremonies to themselves. Mm. Drew, cheers to the MISL. Cheers. The weirdest, most successful soccer league (laughs) in American history. Oh, man. A couple of sources for this for, for this wild ride of a story. Um, two really main ones. Uh, Michael Lewis for The Guardian and Joseph Swide for Vice Sports. Also took some stuff from uh, Major Arena Soccer League's website um, for various historical. So you're saying that you're saying that Missile is, was more successful than MLS currently is? I wouldn't say that. I, w- um, I I definitely wouldn't say that, and and here's why. Um, MISL existed for fourteen years. Uh huh. Fourteen years. Um, half their league titles were won by one team, the San Diego Soccers, and their highest average attendance across the board for any year was around eight thousand people. And the highest average playoff attendance, 10,000 people, same year. Um, they also didn't manage to do anything nationally in terms of, like, soccer coverage. They they got – teams managed to work out some more, like, localized TV deals. But MLS is currently in its 25th year. Yeah. I mean, they've been around for a long time now. You have teams that are drawing fifty to 70,000 people for a match. For, for regular season matches. Mm-hmm. Um, and even teams that aren't drawing those numbers, th- the lowest team in the league is getting more than the highest average that MISL ever put out for a year. Yeah. Like, the lowest the lowest team in the league is, is probably either Houston or FC Dallas. And they're getting, like, they're averaging, like, between fourteen and 16,000 people for a game. Um, and they have successfully managed TV deals. So I would not say that MISL was more successful for MLS. What I would say is that for how weird it was and how it wasn't really soccer almost, it formed a really, really important part in American soccer history. And I don't think that American soccer and possibly even like a lot of the World Cup and the launch of the ML of, of MLS is nearly as successful or works as well as it did. Which I mean, it didn't even work that well for a while. But I don't think it works as well as it did without the major indoor soccer league existing. Missile locked so that MLS <laughs> could run, and missile locked <laughs> onto some hot legs. <laughs> Oh my gosh. We got 20 guys in shorts and they can go all night. What I would give for something like that right now. 20 guys in shorts? 20 like, guys in shorts. That can go all night. I would take any live sports right now. Bundesliga. Maybe the Bundesliga is Maybe come they'll back. come back. Maybe they'll come back. We'll see. I really just want everybody to stay healthy and safe. So, yeah. I know yes. that's a little overused right now, but. God, I'm so tired of all the commercials already. <laughs> We're normally here to be here for you. We like to gather together. We're a family. But right now, you need to stay the fuck home. <laughs> That's like every single commercial. Well, guess what, listeners? We love you and your family. And you can stay home. And hear our voices. And hear our voices. As if we were sitting right next to you. You can social distance, 
while listening to Deadball Brothers 24-7. Because even when we social distance, we're socially close. Mm. Like that. Yes. Close um, through, I don't know. A kinship of soccer and stupidity. <sighs> wow. I couldn't have said it better to myself. I know. That's why I didn't say anything. I have the English degrees in this in this relationship. You know, I know. words. I have words. And you can use them. In my back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, guys. Um, this is episode number 41. 41, baby. Nine away from 50. Yes. I wonder crazy. what we're going to do for a half century. I don't know. Oh, man. See, I'm the one that's always on the big numbers because you're the odd numbers i'm the even numbers we could do something just completely wild and different for oh we should do something we could just go have an extravaganza you guys are here you're listening to it you're holding us accountable we're literally brainstorming it as we record the podcast right now we have have no idea what we're gonna do we should probably end this though we should cut it off so listen if you want to support the podcast please follow us on social media at deadballpod everywhere twitter instagram facebook deadballpod at gmail.com if you want to support it in other ways you could also leave a rating and review on apple Podcasts because the more ratings and reviews that we get the more people see our podcast the more things happen for us in general it's good for us and if you want to buy some t-shirt or anything like that we have hoodies we have a, we have t-shirts we have a long sleeve shirt um that you can buy on our teespring store and that will be in the description below this podcast but we love you guys very much Thank you for uh, bearing with us through an empty week. Hopefully this double game week makes up for it. And until next time, my name is Adam Whitaker-Snavely. And I'm Drew. Stay very healthy out there, friends.